0: Hey listeners, Phil Pryor here with a quick podcast message. There's new NBA content up from the League Pass and Chill Guys looking at how teams are shaping up after free agency and the players skipping the FIBA World Cup next month. The Fox Rugby podcast will have a new episode up on Tuesday following the Wallabies' outstanding Bledisloe Cup win in Perth. And, of course, Maddie Johns is back this week, sitting down one-on-one with Liverpool legend Craig Johnston, a unique and fascinating chat, which, of course, is also on screen on Fox League Wednesday night after 360. Now time for the show you've clicked into, and a big thank you for your
1: support.
2: I've got a covered. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should be starting this week joined by Graham Annesley <laughs> at the Rugby League headquarters with the uh, briefing each week that Graham Annesley holds for decisions on refereeing and a whole manner of things and the way the game is being played at the moment it's one of those weekends once again and I feel like this is going to be groundhog day on Monday for the next 7 8 weeks before the 2019 season winds up at the uh, at the grand final hi everybody Warren Smith, Lara Pitt, Matty Russell here. And you can take me now. I've seen it all, talking uh, about everything we saw over the weekend in round 21 and what we may well see in round 22 and beyond. Uh, We've got about a 1,000 talking points coming out of the weekend. Where would you like to start? And we saw two great games of football, yes, apart from all the drama and the game changing irrevocably as far as some people are concerned. But I thought we saw two very good games of footy yesterday. Not too much controversy between the Raiders and the Roosters, nor the uh, Storm and the Rabbitohs up there in the Central Coast. I thought they they were previews. They were one versus four, two versus three, and if we were playing for spots in prelim finals... There were games that were worthy of that. I was braced
0: for a polar blast in Canberra and was, hello to you. But it was beautiful. It was Was fantastic in the sun down there. And a crowd of 19,000, the biggest regular season crowd at Canberra since 2010. Fantastic atmosphere for the Viking clap. Uh, An absorbing battle straight into the Gosford game where, again, the pictures were magnificent. We say it. Every time we go, there's such a picturesque ground with the winter sun setting, a full house. Uh, great theatre yesterday, and you said it well was, a real taster for the finals just over a month away. So
1: are you any closer now to now that we've seen all top four sides in action? Have you Can you say with any certainty who could keep the first long weekend of October free? Melbourne.
0: They're, they're the team to beat.
1: Yeah, but against who out of, out of the other teams that were in action yesterday? Because Ricky Stewart was asked about you know, where does that leave him now with the team being beaten by the Roosters and you got the Melbourne Storm next and he kind of bristled and says, I know exactly where we're at. And, you know, I I could say we would beat any team on our day. Yes, we didn't win today, but I'm still confident Melbourne. Yep. Let's do it next week. So, I mean, lucky, lucky for us, unlucky maybe for the Raiders to have two huge games back to back, but um, it's another huge test for them next week against the team that I think everybody agrees with you, Maddie. Will be there.
2: Yeah. Well, Ricky was saying that you know, if the, the, the grand final was played next week, they could win the grand yeah. final today. Win un- it today, he today. Said. Unfortunately <laughs> for Ricky, though, you've got to win at least two games against these this caliber of team to get to the grand final. Before mm. you can actually win the grand final, so you know, if you finish first or second or third or fourth, and you win in week one, you've got to win three straight against the best teams in the comp to win the comp, mm. and. Uh, You know, we'll see what happens this week against the Melbourne Storm, but it was a pretty fair test on their own turf yesterday. Against the Roosters team, still missing Jake Friend. And when they get back to full strength, they're going to be better than they were yesterday. While the the Raiders were very good and it was a great game of footy, I loved it and I thought it was – yeah, the intensity was there. You could tell two teams fired up. They knew this meant a lot and it will mean a bit going forward because if they meet again, say it's two versus three and – Very likely to be two versus three again, although Canberra have a tough run between now and the finals, starting with the Melbourne Storm this week. Um, They've got a fair test coming up, but they're a pretty good team. I I don't know if they can win the comp, but they've they've got a say in it.
1: I like the talk between the two teams in your game, Maddie. The Ra- Raiders Roosters in the lead up and and then even afterwards when Robo said, you know, we, it was they they just play that kind of game that slows that that stop start game. You know he had, he's had a fair bit to say about the way the Raiders play and you know if they wanted to get down and dirty that's what we did. We got down and dirty mm. with them and you know it probably wasn't as the flamboyant game that the Roosters like to play. You know being allowed to score a thousand points like they were against the Titans the week before. But you know we'll get down and dirty with the Raiders. I love. I love it. I, love, I just feel like these are the comments that will brew before finals if they play each other again.
2: Nobody couched it in these terms, but when I heard Trent Robertson last week talking yeah. about the Canberra Conservatives, it's like Wayne. their conservative style, I thought, well, it's the Canberra Conservatives versus the Sydney Progressives. <laughs> and in this world where everybody is either left or right and we, we're we all on one side of the divide or other, I thought, this is perfect. Mm. This is the free-thinking, left-leaning Sydney Progressives versus the, the hard-edge leaning to the Right, Canberra Conservatives.
1: Wasn't that like Wayne when he called the bunnies predictable? When, was it the Bunnies he called them predictable a couple of years ago or the Cowboys or someone?
2: Didn't have, the Bunnies didn't have a
0: plan B.
1: Yeah, they were predictable mm. and that just set everyone off. That's horrible to say, isn't it? But I love it. No one says stuff like that anymore before big games. Yeah,
0: there, there's a bit of friction between the coaches mm. yesterday. And you mentioned no Jake Friend, also no Boyd Cordner, plus the Roosters hadn't won in Canberra for their last five visits. It was chilly out of their conditions and they were under the pump with Canberra when uh, Jared Croker scored. They had the momentum. They were bullying the Roosters a little bit. And full credit to the Premiers to be able to hold their nerve to say, let's steady and then work our way back into the game. They actually led at half-time. And and it was a fantastic win by the Roosters. I was sitting sideline and I love doing that in Canberra despite the cold because Ricky... How was Ricky? He, he's so involved. He turns around to me and says, "Was that a knock-on? Was that forward?" And then he says to me, "Did you see that dog shot? <laughs> what about that? Make sure you report on that." And I'm I'm watching it. Yes, Rick. No, Rick. Did he come bags, over and Rick. stand
1: behind you and look at the monitor for uh, no, the replays? No, he's got his own monitor there. <laughs> but he? but
0: again, you know, after half time, you just walk up and and off he goes. You want what do you say to him, Rick? And off he goes. Two minutes later, you have got to try and analyse what bit of that can I use in my yeah. after. I, I love his passion. It's fantastic to see that he's there, right in front of the fans who who yell out to him, and he turns around and gives them a wink. He's a different sort of coach. He's not everybody's kettle of fish. But the theatre sideline in Canberra in a game like that, when Ricky is riding his team, it's unmissable. They have been
2: very good and much improved with their discipline in 2019 compared to past seasons. There was a – I thought to the last 20, they just lost their rag a little bit, the Raiders. They were behind chasing points. They made it – got a try, made it a close finish – but Jordan Rapiner was just, you know, tending back. The red mist was descending in front of his eyes and, you know, the poker machine wheels are starting to turn a little bit. I just thought, oh, they're just just on the ragged edge here as far as their discipline. And I think that hurt them in that final 20, 15 minutes or so.
0: It, it might have, but I like seeing that. that. That almost takes you back in generations, whereas the game develops, the game is more and more on the line. Players tend to walk that tightrope. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I could see it as well. But I don't mind that. I like seeing but that. It, but if it hurts you, it's no. Yes, good, is it? no. Ultimately, no. But but, as a fan, in the experience, you're thinking this is. A, you can't take your eyes off this stuff.
1: Mm. And I think that those are things they can work on before finals. If you know you want to have that anger and that uh, that determination and and the take-the-bull-by-the-horns kind of mentality, but you don't, like you say, want to concede a costly penalty or cause a cause your team to lose their cool altogether for mm. a set of six or leak, point, leak points, but um, also Ricky said for them, you mentioned the players to come back for the Roosters still. They've got BJ Leilua, who mm. sounds, by all reports from Ricky, that he could be back as... I, I asked. This weekend.
0: He could play this weekend. The only reason he didn't play yesterday was that the Raiders had been winning, and why do you throw Rus- Joseph Rusht- Lowe yeah. back in when, hang on, it, it's been working. It's, it's mm. I'm not going to un- disrupt a winning lineup. So he could well return for Melbourne mm. with he, Potrick, you imagine. Does going he to come, win. come back in to play against Will Chambers this week? <laughs> well, back to that red mist, you know, it does sometimes lead to penalties, and maybe if it does that, then you would want to redress it. But it can also lift the players around you. It can also lead to some superhuman performance that sees Jordan crash over for a try when early in the game he might not have been able to produce that. it can go it can go both yeah. ways. Some
1: players are inspired by it. Yeah others it can push them the other way and they start doing silly things. There are players that you know they I don't know the Trell Mitchell comes to mind when he's in a mood and he gets frustrated, it doesn't help his game. But sometimes a Jared Rea Hargraves, when he gets frustrated, he lifts and the whole team... Well, and Luttrell
0: gave away a very important one, didn't he? Yeah, but but also it helped Luttrell yesterday. It did. He had a great battle with John Bateman and there was a bit of what they made a tackle right in front of me and then a few minutes later, Blocker called it. Luttrell flew up and put a great shot on Bateman that rocked him and as Blocker said, that was a little bit of afters for what happened a moment ago. It was an absorbing battle whereby, Mm -hmm. you know, they nullified each other a little bit and it might come with a penalty here or there but I don't mind seeing Luttrell concede a penalty if he muscles up with Bateman like he does for the 40 minutes plus.
2: Well, he considered the penalty that gave the Raiders the ball, which they scored off the back of to close the gap and make a real game of it at but, the end of the game. But also he pulled off some
0: shots that if he didn't pull yeah, off, no maybe doubt. Bateman goes through an offload sure. and the Raiders go away with it. Yep. So it's yin and yang. Yeah. Give me the line. lunatic any time. I don't <laughs> mind watching the lunatic.
2: Well, it's a television show after all. <laughs> yeah. And so lunatics make it fun, don't they? <laughs> they we've, well, do. we've long established that. Uh, was can I ask you a question? Yes. Was Luke Garner a lunatic? Luke Garner. Well, before we move on, okay. Before we move on to Luke Garner, I, I want to ar- go. I want to ask you because both coaches, off the back of yesterday's game, were talking about one-on-one strips. Mm. Yes. And. Um, Interestingly, now there's been a lot of talk about one-on-one strips and they're not really one-on-one strips because they end up being one-on-one strips but they start as three or two-on-one strips and it's now you know a well-worked move and the Raiders are very good at it. And Trent Robertson came out and said he, this, is, this is not about his comments. We're not about the Raiders. They happened to be playing the Raiders yesterday and they beat the Raiders. But he said it's not about Canberra. It's about the rule and his perception as to what looks good for the game. He doesn't like it. Ricky Stewart doesn't like it and part of the reason they both don't like it is as we've said here in the past I think it makes it really tough for the referees on a you know a move where you've got a player cocooned in a tackle involving three players two of them just separate briefly and the third one whether it be Josh Hodgson who's the best in the business or somebody else rips the ball out it's a you know at times it's a real split second thing and the referee's got to make that call and we've seen them we had issues Uh, With the Warriors and the Eels only a couple of weeks ago, they've got everybody talking about it. Interestingly, off the back of that, there was an NRL online poll in which they had 25,000 responses, 25,000. 59% were in favour of the current rule staying as it is, which I thought was a stunning number.
0: Well, I'll speak... from my regard, without any consideration to the broader ramifications, i.e. maybe slowing down the ruck or making it tougher for the referees, I like it because it's another uh, 50-50 battle for the ball, more uh, contested possessions. And uh, when a game can swing in the blink of an eye by virtue of a Josh Hodgson strip, I like it. I was surprised when I heard Trent Robinson speak so passionately against it. Even more surprised when I learnt he had support from Ricky because as a fan of the game watching... I like it. Now, if there's evidence presented to me that as a result of changing the rule as it has been or tinkered with, that we now have A, B, C and D that are being affected, maybe I might reconsider my stance. But right here, right now, give me the chance for a one-on-one strip. So when the game is uh, 26-20 and the team leading has the ball with a minute to go, I know there's still a chance for the opposition to come up with a one-on-one strip and bring the game back to life, as we have seen this season.
2: And if the refs get a call wrong and get hammered for it, as they did off the back of the Eels-Warriors game, are you happy to live with that?
0: I am. I know a lot of fans wouldn't be, but I hope we're mature enough to know, well, it's such a tough verdict. They did their best. It was only a, a freeze frame or two in it. Such a That's nice the rub person. of the green.
1: I blame the the way our game is, is that we always have to find a way to exploit a rule. And that's exactly what Trent Robinson said. I'm not blaming the Raiders, but they're doing a, a great job in a way of exploiting a rule and making the most of it. There's little code words, which Robbo admitted, every team's got one now when they want to go in. Three of them go in and one of them yells out, say it's popcorn. And then they two of them jump off and the, one of them strips. So they've all come up with a way of exploiting the rule but then like you see earlier in the year Cameron Munster goes in for a one-on-one tackle he hasn't got his two henchmen coming in with him and he comes up with two of them I can't remember the game and Penrith? was it Penrith yeah it was in it was a, a regional game and I just remember everyone saying how good's that that was what we used to see mm. a, a lot more of and at the end of the day do we need to find print the rule that you can only do it if the tackle is started with only one other player in it and then we're just having to put it in fine writing and detail so that coaches and clubs don't exploit it. So that's the basically good what it. he's not happy with.
0: Why can't the Roosters be good at it? Why can't Penrith be good at it? Why yeah. can't the Gold exactly. Coast Exactly. I clubs don't be have a problem it.
1: with it. I like it. But that, that's what they're picking at, the fact that people have come up with a way of, of doing it in a sneaky way where they all jump in and then jump off. <laughs> and if he doesn't you, if, like
0: that. If you can't tackle, you're not in first grade for too long. If you can't hold the ball with this rule, mm. maybe... You shouldn't be. In for well, the grapefruit. player doesn't
1: think they're at risk of being one-on-one strip when they've got three players on them, so they're probably. Well, you know, the ball security should still be at the forefront. Won't take of long their to mind. learn, will they? If yeah. Josh
2: Hodgson keeps doing it. Yeah, mm, yeah I, see, I like. I like the contest being there as far as the change of possession sort of thing, but I'm also like, and I'm with a bit. I'm with Trent Robinson and Ricky on this point of view, and apart from just the the refs having a harder job to do, and it's a hard job anyway, as we know. But the idea of defence for 100-plus years of the game has been you tackle the player and you put him on the ground if you can. And suddenly, that is not the idea in defence. The idea now is you tackle the player, you hold him up, another player comes in, you jump away. I mean, for the first time in the game, players are making tackles and then jumping out of tackles. It's a massive change in mindset to the game as far as the coaches are concerned, quite obviously. And... You know, a minority of the fans, but I don't know if it's going to be wound, but we'll see what happens at the end of this season. Mm-hmm. I, If I was in charge, I'd say, no, nah, we're going back to the old rule. If there was more than one in the tackle to begin with, even if they drop off and you rip it out, bad luck,
1: but
0: you it's one-on-one. In- but it does believe- go the other way. There's one in the tackle, someone else comes in, and the first bloke there thinks, oh, I'm one-on-one, I'll strip it. And the referee goes, oh, did that bloke who came in second get there?" before or after the strip, yep. mm. it, sure. it go, it's the same way, just the other it way works around. Way
1: it works both ways, absolutely. Like you, it's But it's a risk as well. Like, you're doing it. It's a risky play to do because what if, you know... What if you defend, get the timing the wrong. Attacker, yeah, you get the timing wrong. So you, your coach shouldn't be saying 100% go for it every time and it's sh- it's just so happens that in some games we're seeing it multiple times.
0: Okay. Scenario, what if the defence or the attackers now think, okay, as soon as two defenders drop off, I'm going to hold the ball, get the leg drive going... Go forward some more or pull through the tackle and take some more metres. Because why does it have to be always the defenders who are going to benefit by having two players drop off? Mm -hmm. Can't the attackers think, okay, here's my chance. It's one-on-one again. Let's go. Be rewarded for ball security.
2: Yeah. You know. (laughs) It's a pineapple. If you don't like being stripped of the ball, hold the ball. The answer is seriously a pineapple. Because I know we have had, as the rule was before we changed it at the beginning of last season... We had issues with it and as you say, a player is in a one-on-one tackle and a second player comes into the tackle and the ball comes out as that player arrives and we had dramas about whether that player, second player, was involved in the tackle or would the ball come out before he got there to become involved in the tackle? I think it's just more from the aesthetics side of things, that that look of players being involved in tackles and then purposely jumping out of it to make it. One on one, it's a I'm not, I'm that look doesn't sit well with me.
0: I'm just thinking about it on the run again. If all of a sudden players know that uh, the, the likelihood of a strip being legal is reduced, all of a sudden their want to hold on to the ball isn't the same level either. If it comes free, oh, there's two in the tackle, I'll get a penalty, or you know, they didn't quite execute that one on one strip anyway. We'll see what happens, but I like it. Yeah, I like. I'm with the 60%. Was
2: what I also liked out of that game was James Tedesco and the pass he threw for Daniel Tupo to score that try. That there won't be a better pass this season. A ball down low, around his knees, and he pops it up. And he, he doesn't he can't see Tupo but he knows he's coming from the inside on that sweep line out towards the the sideline, and the timing just has to be absolutely perfect. If he tosses it a little bit too high, Tupo runs underneath it. If he throws it too low, he doesn't catch it. It was just
0: unbelievable,
2: the timing on that play. I thought that was one of the, we won't see a better pass this season.
0: I interviewed him after the game and said, was that just catch and pass and pray? No, we practiced that at training. I knew he'd be there or thereabouts. I knew it was a, a, a move that we'd worked on, which amazed me. I thought it was just a spur of the moment, catch, pass and pray. But he was insinuating that they had worked on that and it could happen again.
1: You hear players say that all the time, right? Oh, you should see what he can do at training. Mm. Because it's, in a game day situation, it's much harder. So you can pull off all sorts of fancy tricks. I wish that we could see more of it in, in game. But, you know, usually the opposition that you're coming up against shuts it down. Or, the you know, the real flair um, of James Sidesco, We we get to see so much of it, but... A training. They always say, Oh, you could you should see what he can oh, do. Oh yeah. yeah, well
0: at training nobody's <laughs> trying to turn you into spam exactly. in a can, are they? <laughs> so two hundred meters, two try assists. Again, if James Tedesco isn't on the field for the Roosters yesterday, they probably don't win.
2: No, I probably don't. There's, I've got no question. Mm. He is the difference. He set up the first try for Victor His Radley. His nickname would
0: be the difference. I, exactly. He set up the try for Daniel Tupo. They win it by uh, four points and, and, again, sitting sideline watching him. That left side for the Roosters, I went through it yesterday. When Tedesco parks himself there with Mitchell, Tupo, they all have double-figure tries. It's, it's an ominous and awesome attacking edge for the Roosters.
2: Okay, now you are going to move on to the yes. Bulldogs and the Tigers, a game I called on Saturday night out there at ANZ Stadium. And the big talking points coming out of that game, quite obviously, Robbie Farrer. uh It could be a disaster for Robbie as far as the end of his career is concerned. A fractured tibia is the medical report. Uh, ordinarily, that would rule him out for at least a month or more given that he's going to retire at the end of round 25 if their season comes to an end at the end of the regular season. Does he make it on on the field to take on the Sharks with, on three weeks rest? He certainly won't be involved this week nor the week after, I wouldn't have thought. Um, it'd be a shame to see his career, having gone back to the Tigers, um, not be given the send-off he probably deserves at, at Leichhardt Oval on a sunny Sunday afternoon, potentially. It would be a full house, a massive game. It's you know, Tigers, Sharks, that could well be for a spot. In the top eight, and it'll be a great shame if Robbie isn't on deck for
0: it. In the perfect world, the Tigers are going into that game with Robbie Farah in their lineup, needing a win, uh, or knowing a win will secure their first finals appearance since 2011. Yep. I fear now that a Robbie won't be there, and b the Tigers' race would have been run before that. Let's hope not, because the scenario, the you know way it was building, was fantastic.
2: Sensational. What about the other... Apart from the Bulldogs' form, who've now won four of their past six, and despite all the talk earlier in the season about Dean Pay was going to get the sack, and uh, right here on You Can Take Me Now, I've seen it all, we launched the campaign, re-signed Dino, and they did re Dino, and here they are. They're playing some pretty good footy, quite obviously. Um, they're not going to be anywhere near the finals this year, although they, they told you last week... I can't think who it was. One of the players came out and said, well, if we win five in a row, you know... Might have been dealing with Teddy Zalesniak. He said, if we win five in a row, you just never know. Well, they uh, And our stats boys here at the, at the lab, they went through the scenario to come up with a scenario that could get the Bulldogs into the final. And it was just, you know, the, the results were off the charts <laughs> because there are so many teams, the Panthers, the Broncos, go. the Sharks and the Tigers and the Warriors and everybody else involved. They all had to fall in a heap and, and win the bare minimum of games. But, you know, if the Bulldogs make the finals, well, you can take me now. But um, having having said that, they can look at times in the first half, you think they could play four games and not score a try and then they get it going and you go, wow, this this is a pretty good footy team. Mm. Jack." Jack Cogger is playing very well. He looks like he's, you know, he's only he's played still less than 40 games of the NR, in the NRL. He's a player who looks like he's really developing into a key playmaker for an NRL team and if the Bulldogs can hang on to him, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't, then um, he's, he's around and somebody who can be influential at this level.
0: Lachlan Lewis, Kieran Foran, Jack Cogger. I'd have Jack Cogger number one in terms of um, the future in the halves for... Canterbury, and just back to Dean Pay. I said it last week. You know, coaches part of their uh, job task is to drive culture at the club. And from where I sit, the way the dogs are fighting with an underclass roster, ten out of ten for Dean Pay in terms of culture. They've won games they shouldn't have. What about the other talking point coming out of this game? Was the the late hits?
2: Luke Garner and Chris Smith both sin-binned. Right here, if we were live on TV at the moment, uh, we'd be rolling some vision, quite obviously, of the tackles because Matty Russell has his laptop out looking at the tackles as I speak. And give me your thoughts on the sin binning first off of Mm. Luke Garner.
0: Matty? I don't think he should have been sin-binned, was. It is fractionally late and I took the same stance with a different tackle in the past. I feel sorry that Lachlan Lewis copped that whiplash-type tackle, but it's part of rugby league. It's if, if Lachlan doesn't pass the ball and dummies and runs through, Luke Garner looks like a fool. Everybody like
2: always a says that. that. That's the first thing everybody says. He does. What if he dummies and goes through the gap? But when do they do that in these situations? Have you ever seen somebody well, that- like that dummy and get crunched like that when, when the player is coming... He, he's coming out of the line because he knows he's not going to
0: dummy and go. But if rugby league has reached a point where that tackle is illegal, then how do you defend a number seven running to the line?
2: You, st- you maintain your place in the line and, and you don't come out of the line putting pressure on
0: him in that fashion.
1: So, Matty, you don't even think it's worth a penalty?
0: Um, well, I, I No. No, I don't. I, I have I'm, I'm looking at it here, and the ball has only just got just gone when Luke Garner makes. Tally. I reckon it's four meters from a, him. Less than a less than a second, less than half a second. It's slow motion makes it hard, mm. um, but when it's seen in real time, uh, and and the the reason it looks ugly is because the motion of passing sees Lachlan Lewis turn his back to the defender, and then it sees the whip-lash. neck rock backwards in that whiplash type fashion. Uh, we we won't get to the Chris Smith incident yet, but I I don't know if Rugby League wants those tackles to be penalised. I I do. So I, we, that's a sin bin every day for mine now. So if every I, day, a half back. How long do you? What constitutes a late tackle then? Is it time? You Distance know, it, from you, ball you, from you body. You know it when you see it. So feel for it. It's just just feel for. Yeah.
2: You, you just you know it when you see it. That one there. That was too late for mine. And the reason we're having this discussion, and the reason this, this is clamped down, is off the back of a former bulldog, Steve Fokes, upon his death, being examined and discovering that he had chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And, it, and it's as simple as that. So I, that sounds brutal, head injury, I know. The head
0: injury there is by the whiplash motion. Well,
2: but, but there may not have been a head injury there at all for Lachlan Lewis, but they're trying, the, the rugby league, the NRL, is trying to make the game as safe as possible while maintaining the integrity of the game, the big hits. And we see so many big hits. George DeFua has been folding people in half mm. in recent times with big hits, haven't he? Clean, legal hits. You can't remove that from the game. You will never remove that from the game. But situations like that. So they're trying to take that out of the game. In recent seasons, we've seen, uh, you know, defenders, wingers and fullbacks catching the ball. You can't tackle them in midair because of safety. Mm. We've seen fullbacks bringing the ball back from the in-goal area, diving, allowed to dive onto the ground because of safety. That rule's been in place for a number of years now. In in the old days, that would have been a voluntary tackle because you basically didn't come out and contest a tackle. You Mm. couldn't come out and just dive, throw yourself on the ground. They changed that rule because of safety.
0: We've seen a number of rules changed because of safety. And, and this is just one of them. Well, if two big forwards are running front on and as one gets within the shadows of the line, he pops a short pass to a support player and then the other forward hits him, that's got to be Sinbind as well. No. Why not? Because it's a different scenario. But it's, it's a, a late tackle that causes a head injury to Didn't another player. Didn't we see
1: one of Fafita the other day? Didn't for fee to do something like that. Or He was involved in one where he was. It was two forwards coming together, and there was a penalty. I, it's it's happening for sure. It's not just happening on playmakers, and they are pulling them up. They're pulling all of them up. If you so keep, all if you hit a sudden, player late when you're passing the ball, and the my ball. point
0: is suddenly we've got a playmaker rule. So John Asiata, if he runs on as prop <laughs> as he's prone to do, all yeah. of a sudden there's an injury to Michael Morgan or uh, someone, Jake Clifford, and he finds himself in the halves. The rules for John Asiata change according to the position he's playing on the field. Is that no. right? No, you
2: you know these late tackles when you see them. And, and under the current interpretation, I was fine with Luke Garner being sin mm. for that tackle. The Chris Smith one, though, I thought that was super tough. I didn't think there was anywhere near the intent or the speed in the tackle that he made on Ryan Madison. That was more just a, a bump as he delivers the ball. Now, the ball, well, I think, was far closer to Ryan Madison's hands compared to the one with Lachlan Lewis. I, the, there's a photo doing the rounds at the moment on social media and various spots where it looks like the ball has barely left Lachlan Lewis's hands. Yeah. It's a trick. It's an illusion. It's a photographic illusion because it's in, the ball is in line with him. The ball is four or five metres from Lachlan Lewis when he gets collected by Luke Garner.
0: I don't think it's four or five metres. Well, it's, it's four metres. It's, I reckon <laughs> it's both these incidents, the contact is made... Less than half a second after the ball's gone.
2: So even if... Okay, so let's say that's now the standard.
0: The, the, um, Both of them are. Garner, yeah. Garner Chris and Smith. Smiths. If you can't okay. do that anymore, what does that mean? It means that coaches should be telling their sixes and sevens to go to the line and, and dummy and, and basically go through the line. Because they're going to be scared to tackle you. But, and then every now and then mix it up and pass the ball. They, they, they won't, become even greater attacking weapon.
2: They won't go through the line because you won't be able to come out of the line in the fashion that Garner and Smith to a lesser degree did. You will maintain your position in the line with the men on your inside and the men on your outside in a straight line with you and you will hold your position in the line until that playmaker either comes to you or mm-hmm. passes the ball. You, fall, Because there's nothing, there's no gap He's not going to throw a dummy and try and get through because he knows you're maintaining your position. There's no gap there. It will change the way defenders approach their job. As simple as that. And that will be the change. That will be the the change
0: forced to the game because of this new rule. It will make sixes and sevens um, more creative, more important. I don't know. I
2: honestly don't know what it will mean as far as attack, whether we'll have less points scored. I I think actually we'll have less points scored as a result. And that won't be, you know, the NRL won't like that, but that may well be the, the aftermath, the result of teams changing the way they defend because you can't get out of the line and try and get there and hit mm. the playmaker or the man delivering the pass with a tackle where you're accelerating into that tackle and getting there late still. That, that will disappear from the game. Otherwise, you're going to have players sin being left, right and centre and it will change. There'll be an adjustment.
1: Let's just go back to why this has changed. It was to eliminate the cheap shot that was getting copped on Jonathan Thurston, even Cooper Cronk a couple of times. Well,
2: this rule should be the Siwasso Sue rule from the Bulldogs because he cleaned up Cooper Cronk in a... uh, If you reckon Luke Garner was, you know, split second, Siwasso Sue got there half an hour after Cooper Cronk passed the ball
0: and was cleared... By the judiciary. And and Cia Soliola had a moment, um, didn't he? And we know that there are other players. Adam Blair has had his moments. And you see them and you go, that's late and that's, that's right. not necessary and it's easy to sin bin and it's easy to suspend. Adam Blair has made a but, career out of doing what we're talking about. And I suppose that what we're arguing then, what the um, margin for error that we are willing to accept is. For some yes. people it needs to be um, a second, for others... Four twenty-fifths of a second is is too much to be late. So mm. that's what we're arguing about, isn't it? Mm. That's what we're arguing. I don't about. think you can measure
2: it time-wise. I think it's mm. as, as I said, feel. You know it when you see it.
1: Yeah, and that, that's what the coaches seem to be a bit, or and even commentators who sit on our panels are, are frustrated with, is because it's that constant. There's no feel for the game from the refs because they're just going, "Oh, that was a sort of a that would look like a late hit," or "There was whiplash. Let's send him to the sin bin."
0: Yeah. We've been told to clamp down. Yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, true. They've been told to clamp down on it. But how bad was it? And and yeah, maybe he, you know, there was the whiplash effect. But was it really late when we look at it? I look at it Mm. a thousand times on your computer, Maddie. I don't think, for me, watching it, that it looked late.
0: Do you think the game is out of sync between what the fans watch and want to see, what the game's governing body? Wants the game to be what the referees are being told to do, what the match review committee is handing down when it looks at all these incidents, what the judiciary is doing. Buzz Rothfield wrote an article on the weekend about um, Sam Burgess being suspended nineteen hundred dollars or a fine of nineteen hundred dollars. Michael Gordon, good guy, the game, copying two thousand bucks for leaving the field too slow. That's a that's. Um, an extreme incident that highlights the disjointedness of the game throughout the different levels of power that control the way the game is run.
2: It's a game evolving faster than fans can keep up with. So should the
0: league this week scrap these plans regarding trade windows and and expansion and different sorts of item agendas and go, let's have an emergency meeting on state of the game. Let's bring all the different views together so that for the last month and for the finals and Mm. for years going forward, we know exactly where we are. No, because that's a meeting that's... Honestly, that's a three-day symposium. Mm. You need to get everybody
2: together and say, what does the game need to look like? I I can tell you what the answer is. If Todd Greenberg was sitting here right now with a set of headphones on, he would say, we make no apologies that a duty of care of the players is our absolute priority, and if the game changes as a result, that is just stiff cookies. Because they will say that duty of care... Is the absolute utmost priority in the game, and ahead of the salary cap, ahead of everything in the game, they will say, they will tell you, and it's uh, those three words again: chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That has changed everything as far as administrations of all sports is concerned. Mm. And the AFL has been going through the exactly the same thing. Fans have been in uproar at the changing of their game as far as contested balls on the ground and what you can do, what you can't do in a, in a ball on the ground. Can you slide in? Can you, do you have to stay on your feet? All these manner of things in the AFL. It's changed the face of the NFL. It's now changing the face of the National Rugby League. This is sport in the era when we know that concussions and repeated concussions have a, an effect on the brain and they can affect you either in later life or not so later life. Oh, I agree with all that. And, and the Steve Folks thing rocked that, that admission, that discovery rocked rugby league. I agree with all that. A, a championship winning player, a premiership winning coach, a significant figure in the game who had coached the women's team. He'd done a lot in the game. And he, at the end of his life, was discovered to have had chronic traumatic encephalopathy.
0: And that has changed everything. Okay, I agree with that. And obviously the player's safety is paramount. But when Nathan Brown pushes off the back fence without any deviation in his run and thunders into the opposition defensive line, gets stopped on the spot, slammed on his back... uh, the birds tweeting, not concussed, but it's a stunning impact, which we yep. see in every single game. Yes. That is rugby league. Yes. That's what the players sign up for. That's what they're here to do. So that contact, legal contact, that brilliant brutality that the fans fill the stadiums to watch, that we enjoy calling. Is that any different from Luke Garner making split-second contact that's a little bit more spectacular than the front on because um, we've seen Lachlan Lewis turn in the tackle.
1: Yep. It is different. It is different. Can't brace for it.
0: That's <laughs> you can exactly brace right.
1: for Nathan Brown's impact, which we love, but you can't brace as the playmate. So there's there's going to be a huge adjustment. If they're going to keep doing this, there's going to be a huge adjustment for the defending teams. to You've got to put pressure on, but be careful. That's going to have to be the new – I don't know how they do it, but they, every pre-season there are changes, and the coaches will have to come up with ways to keep the pressure on. If it means, you know what, you can't – you have to go lower in the tackles when you're putting pressure on, I don't know, on those playmakers that can turn.
0: Where's the line going to be? Is it going to be when you return the ball from the well, kickoff, you it, can't run above 50% speed? No, like, but, no, I know it's a silly result, but, we've, but, we've, but how do you decide where it's going to be?
1: No.
2: No, we've but, seen the line as far as these, these types of tackles, the Garner tackle and the Adam Blair, you know, quintessential tackle and the Chris Smith tackle, even though, you know, I didn't, I didn't have an issue with the tackle at all during the game. I didn't think it was a penalty, let alone a sin mm-hmm. bin. But having said that, if that's the new standard, it will change the game. It will change the way you go about defence. It has to. Otherwise, you will, we will have a conga line of players being sin-binned for mm. getting there too late. And defence will be a
0: lot more submissive. See, I, I keep going back. If Lachlan Lewis hadn't passed the ball there and he still gets crunched from that angle, for some reason the player that he's passing to is not in the right position. He holds the ball, gets tackled, the head goes back, he cops exactly the same contact as if he'd passed the ball four ths of a second beforehand.
2: If you're a referee in the bush, I don't know how you deal with all this. I mean, it's fine at the NRL level where you've got, you know, video referees and, uh, you know, the bunker and the match review committee and the judiciary panel. If you're just out there on your own and it's Group 10 and you've got to do, deal with all this stuff, I, you know, well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really hard
0: issue at the NRL level, let alone at the levels below that. Was having covered a lot of Group 10 games, there's a referee out there from the past called Billy Foran who didn't settle for any mischief. He handled games magnificently by himself despite the rough and tumble of country rugby league. It was Billy Foran, he'd handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have
2: people caught. You know, we, we always have people wanting to go back to one referee as opposed to two referees and winding the game back, but... You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. What else caught your eye over the course of the weekend? Lara's interview with the parents uh, of James Graham. There were
1: some beautiful family stories this weekend. Trust me to bring up those things. Um, James, that was a
2: cracker, actually. Yeah,
1: James Graham. Oh, So I'm just about to interview Paul McGregor before the game and we were just chit-chatting before they crossed to us, talking about James and the occasion, how he hates the whole fanfare. And he goes, oh, we've flown his parents in. It's a big surprise. I'm like, oh, can we talk about that? But can I ask you that the fact that the club's flown him in from the UK in the pre-game interview? He goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, well, James isn't watching. He's, he's warming up. You're not going to give away the surprise. He's like, oh, no, we want to keep it a secret. Just I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, okay. So the whole broadcast, I was like wanting to come in and say, you know, guys in the stands, the, the Graham family, they've flown in and, and he has no idea that at, at full time we'll have those pictures for you when he's reunited. But the club... Wouldn't let me, and you know, unfortunately, I couldn't spill the beans and, and ruin the moment. Um, but yeah, full time, I I got my phone out. I'm watching. I saw them; they were hiding in the in the crowd, and they were getting the post game uh, ceremony for him and the and the whole thing set up before they brought them out. And um and James's brothers here from the UK, so we already knew that his kids, his wife, and they were all out there. And then all of a sudden, he spots his mum through the crowd, and he's just his whole face just froze. He was like, oh. And he he gave her a big cuddle, and then he was sort of looking around, and his dad was hiding elsewhere, so he didn't. He thought, oh, it's just mum. And then all of a sudden, he turns around, and his dad's hiding behind one of the dragons officials, and he sees him. He's just like, oh, they got me. And it's so typical of Graham, like just didn't couldn't concede any control over over his milestone. But this was one thing the club took completely out of his hands. They got them here the day before. And then we spoke to them. His mum was crying the whole time during the 400-game milestone presentation. And then, yeah, they've come in. They've got nowhere to stay or they're staying in a hotel because the Graham household's already full of family that have come in for the weekend. But, um, yeah, I I didn't realise that James is one of seven and that's what he told us after the game, that, you know, all of that effort it would have taken for mum and dad to get all the kids through sport and um, to see him reach such heights in the game both of them were super proud it was really really nice to to see them come out for it and the other one was um after that game was seeing that Mike Acevo's dad was flown out by the eels on yeah. the weekend and saw a beautiful video of him standing on the touchline when the team came out clapping them and he'd never been to anything like it before
0: never been out of pg yeah
1: and um, yeah beautiful pictures of him and Micah after the game and, of course, he's now joint again leader with Ken Mamalo in the race to the Ken Irvine medal. So um, both scoring tries at will at, at Banquet Stadium's eighth try in eight games there. So those were my great moments from the weekend, aside from all the referee <laughs> referee bashing that we've been doing in the first <laughs> half an hour of the podcast.
0: I did find myself thinking, imagine if it went from David Fusatua winning the inaugural Ken Irvine medal to Ken, Ken Mamala on mm. the other side for the Warriors. Yeah, the Ruben Warriors Garrick's struggled.
1: chasing. He's only yeah. now one try behind. I think
0: it's going to be a fantastic final round that you know, might decide who finishes with that medal.
1: And Latrell's also only one try behind now.
0: What about James Graham? 400 first-grade games but 49 internationals as well. I know Cameron Smith has uh, many, many origins and internationals on top of his 400 but that's a a lot of footy for a bloke Mm. who should have been a soccer player growing (laughs) up in the shadows of Goodison Park as an Mm. Everton fan and was sent off to play soccer by mum and dad and here he is, 400 first-grade rugby league games. It's Mm. a fantastic story for the man they call Jammer.
1: Yeah, it was very nice and very touching to see all the players call out his name and Ed Sheeran and all those <laughs> names he comes up with. They co- nicknames they come up for him. He so he looks so much like Ed Sheeran. He does. Can he play guitar? I don't think so. He's got to yeah.
2: learn. He's got to learn and just do some busking. He could just he, pretend. He could pretend he it. Martin plays. He could do
1: some miming on the Maddie Show on Sunday night. <laughs> the boys would love that.
2: Uh, Dale Finucan style. Yeah, yep. exactly.
1: But yeah, with less talent. Yeah.
2: Wow, Dale. Yeah, Dale Finucan was impressive, <laughs> he wasn't he?
1: Amazing.
2: What stood out to you was. Uh, Cameron Munster, when he's at the top of his game, as he was against the South Sydney Rabbitohs just day up there in Gosford, um, the try he scored, uh, you know, late in the game, coming back against the grain, stepping players, was as close to Jared Hayne doing what he did in a famous try against the Dragons at Cogra in the last round of the regular season back in 2009, when he was as dominant as anybody has ever been for a period in the NRL on his way to a Dallium medal that was a that was a Jared Haynes style moment the way he stepped back through the traffic he looked like a a bloke who was running late for his train (laughs) and the everyone's got off the train and they're they're walking down the platform and he's like ducking and diving and trying to work his way through the throng to you know dive through the doors before the the train disappears from the platform Uh, that was a fantastic moment and and he, along with James Tedesco and a few others, um, have the fate of their team's hopes for a premiership in their hands. If, if he com- continues to play like that, then Melbourne, they are the minor premiers elect and uh, they will be my, uh, premiership favourites, even with the Roosters being defending premiers. If he plays like that, you know, they win the comp. See, he, he is tall, he's big, like he's surprisingly big. For, you know, mm. for five-eighths, I mean, the game has changed incredibly. If you go back to the guys who used to play five-eighths in the old days and look at Cameron Munster and others now, you go, my God. He, he would have been an old-school front rower. But he, he's just – he's one of those players who – he's a bit like the Trell Mitchell. So strongly strong. He just bursts through tackles,
0: beat, beat players that don't know where he's gone. Um, he's a premiership winner. Silly pub topic question that last week my favourite question was who's the best buy? Is it Bateman or is it Charles Nickel, Klockstad? Mm. If you're building a team from scratch, was and you've got to pick your player, oh. who's your first pick? Is it Munster as your five-eighth, or is it Tedesco as your fullback? You only get one, then the rest of the room has to have a pick. What, what way would you go? No, it's Cameron Smith as my hooker. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's there, you go. That's there you no, go. That's not even okay. a question. Yeah, Cameron
0: very, Smith very is the first pick to every time. Very good you have to choose
1: two people from the same team. It's too hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're both wonderful players, aren't they? They're just watching them both yesterday. Fantastic. And we'll see them head-to-head in all likelihood mm. in the finals. Okay, there's a bouquet for
2: Cameron Munster. What about a brick bat? How do you solve a problem like Josh Maguire? What What happens beyond So he's been charged now for with contrary conduct. I said on Twitter over the weekend... I was surprised at the charge because, it, again, like the other charges, I guess you couldn't see any, you know, digging into the eyes and I, I sort of, I guess, absentmindedly assumed that he'd been charged with they were thinking an eye gouge given the severity of the penalty. But they've whacked up the grading, not so much for the incident but just for the fact that he's done it before, which is a bit of a, you know, it's almost double jeopardy because when you have the loading as far as the, the the prior offences... That's where the, you know, the, the factor of multiplying the initial charge comes in. But they've also just given him an extra grading because they feel like he needs to learn a lesson, which is a bit, like I say, a bit almost like double jeopardy. And I don't have a problem with it because the guy obviously has an issue. He has a major issue and the Cowboys suddenly have a major issue because if he can't get through a game without putting his hand on somebody's face, whether he's eye-gouging or putting his fingers anywhere near the eyes or not... He has to sit down and say, how do I approach my rugby league now? Having done this quite obviously for a long, long time, if they're now prepared to charge me and whack me with that level of charge that I'm going to miss three weeks now, how do I approach my rugby league going forward? And are the Cowboys in some way responsible for not stepping in front of this and getting in front of the curve on his issues with putting hands in faces long before this? And they've been happy to say, Paul Green has come out and said... We're happy for him to play the way he plays. He's an aggressive player. He brings an aggression to the table. We like that. We're, we're not going to make any changes. Well, they quite obviously right now have to make changes to his game. Because otherwise, like Craig Smith, who was rubbed out of the game by the NRL for you know lifting his knee the way he ran with the ball, if Josh Maguire can't make tackles and put his hands on players' faces,
0: he has no future in the game. There are plenty of aggressive players in the league who haven't had their Hands around the faces of opponents who haven't had the rap sheet that Josh Maguire has had. Be tough, be aggressive, look at any other number of players around the league and don't put your hands mm. anywhere near the face of an opponent. It's so simple. So like, should this
1: have been addressed when it happened the first time this season against Cameron Munster? Of course and it then should've. maybe we shouldn't. Of course I'm not should've. saying you would have learnt the lesson because clearly it's not He's sinking in. He's paying the in. price
0: now for past indiscretion.
1: I feel like if he had been charged, if I mean, we didn't need to see that extra centimetre of camera angle that they said cut off at Munster's eyes. We all saw what it was in that game yeah. against the Storm. But nobody wanted to charge him because if he went to the judiciary, he could get off on a technicality that the angle. But he did it then and now he's being copying it for something that was, you know, be, yes, he touched his face but he didn't eye gouge him. No, he didn't. He no. didn't. So they should have dealt with it back then. Like we all knew and it's just come back and haunted him. A number of times this season.
0: I saw an incident um, on the weekend with uh, Cooper Cronk and Jared Croker that if it was Josh Maguire, we'd be hearing a lot more about it today. Josh Maguire is paying a price for what he's done in the past, mm. and it's so simple, so simple going forward. A sit down with Paul Green to say, do not put your hands anywhere near the face of an opponent, otherwise the club will take action first, and then we'll move on after the league has had its go. It's so simple, was. Yeah.
2: Well, he's a marked man. This is the third one he has, so. Anything that he gets charged for in the future has fifty percent for each one of those charges. So he's, you know, it, anything near the face now for him will result. And it, it, they will say if he say he gets you know does the same thing early next year, well they'll say he didn't learn the lesson. Now it's grade three. It'll be five weeks well, or would you, six weeks. Would anyone weeks. have a problem with that? Well, no, no, I wouldn't. There you go. So, you see, so he has a major issue. If he mm. cannot play really. the game without doing what he's
0: been doing, he has no future in the game. All he's got to do is keep his hand away from the face of opponents. Like, that's so simple.
1: But leading up to that, I was watching that game. He's so important to them. He's so aggressive. He, he, he can, He's a good player. He can play yeah. that, that, it, ma- that sort of villain role and, and that's fine. But just... It just has to learn where the, line, where the mark is, that you can't mm. overstep it. And he was playing against his former club and every time he was in a tackle, I could feel that there was more in it for him, you know, mm. that he wanted to get over them and, and there, there's that great storyline there. But then, then literally when he went and did that, I, I didn't see it during the game. It was only when no. I watched half-time and the panel brought it up. I was like, oh, you're kidding. What's he done that for? Because he's had a great mm. first half. It's been – he's been all in. You go around the league, Waria
0: Hargreaves, Andrew Vafita, Jesse Bromwich, you keep going. They've all had incidents uh, that are born out of their aggression, but they haven't had repeated incidents for having their hands in or on the face of opponents. So simply keep your hands elsewhere. Yep.
2: And if that's the new standard as far as the NRL is concerned with with the old-fashioned facial, we don't see anywhere near the number of them as we used to, but uh, there'll be more players charged forward and they won't get the weeks that... Um, Josh Maguire has That's with his prior, his prior record and the fact that they've loaded him up because they're trying to teach him a lesson. But yeah, uh, we I don't, will see more players yeah, charged with
1: it. If that was someone else just putting their hand on someone's face, they nothing would have happened. Grade
0: one and probably a fine. Yeah. And if we're talking about look of the game going forward in terms of player safety, then you don't want elbows, hands, fingers over the face. The old facial no. has gone. Mm. So it's pretty simple. It's a five-minute chat pre-season. club saying anyone in my team who is guilty of a facial will pay some sort of penalty from the club. Mm-hmm. And then we'll let the NRL get at you, I would have thought.
2: From a brick bat for Josh Maguire and maybe the Cowboys handling off his situation to another bouquet, this one for Nathan Cleary who played against the Sharks on Friday night as he looked like a player who might well be the New South Wales halfback for the next decade. That's <laughs> he, an idea. If he can play like that because at his best he's a fantastic player and he's been play, he played with injury last year the second half of the season off the back of the Origin series. He's had his moments, of course, this year. His form was a much-talked-about point going into Origin this year. He then suffered the injury, but he's back at his best. He's a very, very good halfback, and I think he is still the number one halfback as far as the Blues are concerned if he keeps playing like that.
1: Well, he said after the game... You know, he's meant to be the the young gun, but he felt like the veteran in the team that played on Friday because of all the rookies and the debutantes that that Ivan went with. Uh, I feel like he plays better, as maybe that's too bold a statement to say, when James Maloney isn't there. Because earlier in the season, there was a game Maloney missed that he seems to step up when he knows that that's his team. You know, he runs the show. So, you know, of of course you you can say, of course, they're not going to not put Maloney back in there on their run to the finals if they want to be in the eight and and make any inroads in finals, then Maloney has to be in the team. But you'd you'd think that next year when Nathan has to step up, uh, they have to figure out who that person beside him is consistently going to be but that he is going to be capable of taking charge of the team all on his own.
0: Well, Matt Burton did a stellar job there and there are others waiting in the wings. Nathan Cleary, seven times he ran the ball, more than 106 metres, four tackle busts, two line breaks, two try assists, a try of his own as part of a 14-point haul. Good numbers for a halfback and uh, they certainly have some backup in the six and seven, don't they, when Jimmy Maloney moves on? But I agree, during the finals you want Jimmy wins. Yeah, of course. Jimmy wins in your lineup. Yes, you do. Uh, yeah, and
1: and they play the Broncos this week. So the two of them are keep going in and out of the eight with the Tigers and the Sharks, the the Panthers and the Broncos. One this weekend, so they jump back in. The Tigers and the Sharks lost, so they drop back to ninth and tenth. But this weekend, the Panthers and the Broncos win- play each other, so that's going to have a big bearing on which one of those sides remain in the top eight at the end of uh, round twenty-two.
2: Who wins that game? While we're talking about it, that one uh, on Friday night, the second of the two games on Friday, who wins between the Panthers and the Broncos up there at SunCorp? Um, I would, yeah, I would
0: say Brisbane. At Suncorp. It did <laughs> was convincing, wasn't I? Very convincing. I'm just carefully. running I'm running through who's in and out. I'm trying to think on the run there was who's going to pay what price out of the weekend round, who's coming back, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, maybe Brisbane that they, they, they're lucky in getting two points you against the Cowboys. Do you
1: remember at the back end of last year? The Broncos pumped the Panthers fifty points to eighteen yep. up there at this time last year. I don't think we're going to see a score line like that because I don't think the Broncos have fifty points in them in their attack. Um Ooh, I'm going to say the Panthers can upset the Broncos at Suncorp.
2: Wow. I, I, I don't know how you tip this game with any confidence either way. Uh, you're right about the Broncos and the Cowboys in that game. I mean, apart from Josh McGuire and everything else that happened, how the Cowboys lost that game, they, they were super submissive in their defence. Just They were just almost getting marched the last three minutes, four minutes of the game, getting marched down the field, holding off, didn't want to make a tackle. If that is the future of the game, as far as defence is concerned, if you can't get out of the line and put pressure on players, (laughs) then we will see plenty of tries scored because the Cowboys folded badly after looking like the dominant team for the majority of that game. That was two points they threw away and two points that the other Broncos will run back to Brisbane off the back of that win last week. That uh, That could be the difference between making the finals and not making the finals right there. If they lose that game... They're outside the eight. Uh, The Sharks would have been in the eight off the back of the Tigers losing as well. The Tigers blew a a golden chance themselves to be right there. Um, They would be, in fact, ahead of the Panthers. They'd be in seventh position had they beaten the Bulldogs in that game on Saturday night. So these games coming up between the Panthers and the Broncos, that Tiger-Sharks game in round 25, there are others, of course, all the way through, including Thursday night this week, the Sea Eagles and the Tigers to kick it off. ...in three sleeps time. Seagulls-Tigers at Lotto Land over there. A Thursday night, a tough draw. But given the Seagulls' form, I know they lost to the Warriors... ...who put in their best performance, I think, of the season in that win. Uh, the Seagulls got pretty close in the end... ...but uh, Adam Blair-Sinbin uh, helped them out a great deal at the end of that game. It should be a big crowd and the Tigers just have to find a way to win. Uh, the Seagulls are still there a chance of sneaking into the top four. The Rabbitohs, who knows what will happen with them. I think if anyone drops out of the top four, it's the Rabbitohs. But the Seagulls, if they think they are a premiership-winning team, they need to beat the Tigers pretty comfortably.
0: Manly lost their last four against West Tigers, but I think they'll be winning this one uh, given the sort of flat way West Tigers must feel after uh, that unfortunate miss at goal on the weekend. Uh, I just see Manly bouncing back from that loss
1: across the Tasman. Hindsight in your... Tipping is a wonderful thing, but I feel like that Manly loss was coming. They had that massive golden point uh, win over the Storm in Round 19. They had a short turnaround – not a short turnaround, they had a one-week turnaround back at home against the Knights, which the Knights were falling away. So I I think that that game for them was – they were exhausted at Lotto Land after that result. I remember talking to the players. uh, They were just physically um, spent and they're just happy to beat the Knights. And then they had a short turnaround to fly to New Zealand and I think that it's just all the – the, the travel and the hectic nature of the their last two games before that. Um, so I, I think Des will have them well-rested. They'll probably have a couple of days off after the New Zealand game and um, and then they have till Thursday. So it's still not a long turnaround for them, but um, I would say Manly will bounce back. And the Tigers don't have Robbie. I think that that, that yeah. it's a hard one.
0: At Lotto Land, uh, Manly lost their first appearance at home this season. Since then, they've won six of seven, including their last three. So they've got the roll on at yep. Lotto Land, and yep. I think it'll continue against West Tigers. Tigers
2: will look back at their season and they'll think about the missed goal by Paul Momorowski, which oh. was, you know, I felt you had to feel for him. The Bulldogs certainly felt for him after full time when the siren went. They all went up and consoled him. Uh, he was you yeah, know, almost inconsolable, wasn't he, off the back of that miss. And then they'll think back to that game earlier in the season when they were beaten by the Panthers when Nathan Cleary kicks the field goal, having kicked one from the sideline. Uh, East Hand Masters missed a couple of very... One was identical to the Momorowski missed the other night, and there was one even closer that he missed as well that night. There's potentially, we don't know what would have happened in Golden Point, but, you know, the Tigers have a chance to go on and win that game. There's four premiership points right there. And it's not just a coincidence. They are the worst goal-kicking team in the competition. I was going through the numbers before that game, as it turns out as part of a prep, and their kicking is awful. They kick at less than 70% and everybody else, there's a gap between them and the Sharks are 15th. No surprise also, given the issues they've had through that run of narrow losses, they couldn't kick a goal either. Um, the two worst kicking teams in the, in the comp, and there they are at the moment, outside the top eight. And if their goal kicking had been better, they both... Uh, they, they would displace the Panthers and the Broncos right now in the top eight. And we said at the start of the year, you know, less tries being scored in the game than ever. Goal kicking is more important. And we've seen that borne out for both the Sharks and the Tigers. Um, I'm going to say Seagulls win that game pretty comfortably at uh, Lotto Land on Thursday night. The first game on Friday night, the Titans and the Eels. Titans back at home. Jeez, um, that was... The game against the Dragons, you spoke about James Graham after full-time, was, they, and they all. lost that game, and it was looking
0: likely at one stage, wasn't oh, it? Ate the difference inside the final 15. Oh, my goodness. That would have been...
1: So welcome to when Gareth Widdop leaves next year, because if he didn't play that game, yeah. they may very well have lost. Mm.
2: Mm. <laughs> On Super Saturday, the Knights and the Cowboys kick things off at 3 o'clock at McDonald Jones Stadium. Um,
1: I'll be up there for that. I'm not enthused.
2: What? Are you? <laughs> That's great. That is so, so good to you. hear your excitement. That that I love <laughs> a bit of I love a bit of podcast. Who's doing this one? I'm not doing no, this one. I'm thank goodness. Uh, I'm with you. Um, I don't. You know. Then, the, I mean, if the knights, well, here's their situation. They're eight and twelve. They would have to win four straight, and hope there's a real collapse by the teams above them. It's not beyond the realms of possibility, but you can't. you know,
1: Mitchell, I'll say four. this, Mitchell
2: Pearce has tapered off off the back of his performance for New South Wales in Game 3. He hasn't maintained the form that he was showing through the middle part of the season, and that is one just one of the reasons, not the sole reason, not the major reason by any stretch, but it's just one of, I think, many reasons why the Newcastle Knights haven't kicked on in this run to the finals.
0: Yeah, 12th against 13th, I think Team 12 wins by virtue of the fact they're at home and... Uh, Maybe they're just travelling a little bit better than North Queensland at the moment, who I'm still trying to work out how they lost the other night. Yeah, yeah. amazing.
2: Storm versus Raiders, another blockbuster. This one will be first versus third. Um, Storm at home at Amy Park at 5.30. And, uh, well, Ricky Stewart gets to put his theory on the line, doesn't he? That he said that you know, we were playing a grand, the grand final next week. We could be in that grand final and we could win it. Well, we get to test that theory I guess first up right here against the Melbourne Storm.
0: Bit of banter between Ricky and Robbo in the lead up to the game on the last weekend, but of course uh craig Bellamy and Ricky Stewart, great mates, they always have a beer when they catch up in the opposing city. So um I think Melbourne at home <laughs> the way they're rolling. Uh if you follow the rule you just don't tip back against a winner, then you keep succeeding with Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a Sensational game! I can't wait for this one. Yeah.
1: They There's are eight competition points clear of Canberra. They've yeah. been unbelievable, and I think it would that would be a, f- an, a fantastic effort. If we're talking about Canberra winning at Amy Park, um, well we can dedicate half the show to that. But yeah, I would say the storm are going to continue.
2: <laughs> Melbourne are unbelievable. I mean, out of nowhere, they have you know they've had Billy Slater retire, Jerome Hughes injured, Scott Drinkwater. Moves on. Ryan Pappenhausen out of the game, injured. So, what do we do? We pluck a kid, Nico Hines, mm. out of nowhere from the Central Coast, a bit like Scott Drinkwater, plays a game, looks really good. I mean, they just keep throwing players into positions and they get a job done by them. That's unbelievable. And still, I don't Last hear anyone talking about
0: their coach as coach of the year. <laughs> 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 Still, they're ten points clear of Manly. Okay.
1: After round twenty-four, we decided we would make okay, the call okay. after Des yeah. and well, Craig need... meet again. We would decide who yep. officially. Yeah, I'll who move
0: wins. on. I'll move on. We,
2: ne- we need two coach of the year awards. We need, we need the coach of the year. And then we need the most improved. That's
1: exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Sorry, who's the I most ma- improved I coach did most of improved. The
2: year. <laughs> I didn't mean to and do that. Craig Bellamy is the coach of the year. <laughs> I should uh, – I'll, I'll get over it. it. It's a new deli M. No,
1: but that's what we should most do. Improved. Most improved. coach. We'll Can you imagine Desi's acceptance speech? <laughs> 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 you're well, the most uh, improved. We'll,
2: we'll have participation ribbons for everybody else. <laughs> he won't be coming uh. if you're
1: like, stuff, you. Well, it's not
2: hard to improve on what he did last year. Yeah. <laughs> Storm
1: wind. We'll skip over that. Storm wind.
2: is yes. that one? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. In a, in a We're game all in agreement not to be missed. Once again, say aye. Uh, Rabbitohs and aye. Bulldogs, 7.30. Um, this game, uh, you know, it's interesting, a, a month it? ago was like, oh, you know, okay. Um, now it's like, wow, this is game on. Game on. The Rabbitohs need to find something and the Bulldogs, they, if anyone's found something, I mean, four of six who out of the who in the comp has won four of six in recent times? Melbourne have, the Roosters have, the Raiders have, Manly have, I guess Para have. No, nobody <laughs> else has though. Yeah. So honestly, if, if we went and through the, last, like the last six weeks, the Bulldogs are probably fifth on the ladder in the last six weeks alone. So it, this is a fascinating contest. I'm calling this one. I can't wait to see what happens and there'll be great interest to see how Adam Reynolds yep. backs up, whether he can get on the park or not because if he can't get on the park but yeah the Rabbitohs are a vastly different team.
0: You know when you uh, need to make catch up in your tipping comp late in the season, you're thinking, now what way is that person going to go? I need to go the other way to try and catch up. You're tipping the Bulldogs, yeah, uh, aren't you? I'm tipping the Bulldogs. Yeah. in this one. You are tipping the Bulldogs. I am tipping the Rabbitohs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was bottom of the whole thing at Fox um, about three or four weeks ago. Somehow I'm off the bottom, so I've gone back to conservative tipping because I just don't want to finish last. I'm just going to tip this comes the Bulldogs. Motivation comes in Yeah, The just Conservatives as as I'm not last.
0: are backing the bunnies. Yeah, uh, The Desperates are backing the the dogs. The progressives? Yep. There you go, the progressives. Backing the
2: Bulldogs. Um, look, I'll, look, I'll say the Rabbitohs because they have a lot more to play for. Mm. But if it's, you know, 14-12... It you know, hasn't I think been pretty. I think it'll be that sort of scoreline. Unless unless the Rabbitohs attack that left edge um, gets going as it did yesterday against the Melbourne Storm. They did score some very good tries. Mm. Their attack was more in sync than it has been in recent times. Yeah, but, again, true. if Reynolds isn't there, then that changes things. Uh, Cody Walker was back to the Cody Walker he was at the beginning of the season. That's a great sign for Wayne Bennett and the Bunnies. Um, but that will be a, a terrific contest. It's a home game, in effect, for both teams. Let's hope there's a good crowd out there. Uh, it's not freezing cold as it was and windy on Saturday night. There's a very meagre crowd for the, the Dogs and the Tigers. That should get, you know... In reality, that should get 30,000 people. But That won't, that won't be the crowd, but in the Smith world, um, that would get 30,000 people. Sunday, Roosters and Warriors. I'm also uh, on deck for this one out there at the SCG.
1: I will see you there. This um, one I am a bit more enthused by.
2: Yeah, well, the Warriors um, <laughs> had to bounce back. They had to find something for that game against the Seagulls after being given the rounds of the kitchen by their coach. Um, they were in danger of being decapitated by flying towels <laughs> in the dressing room if they not, had not fired up against the Seagulls. And, boy, they were good. They were really good, the intensity in their defence in particular. And Manly had some stupid amount of tackles inside the 20 before they finally scored when the, the Warriors were down to 12 men. But um, can they beat the Roosters on the road? You would say not and as good as they were last week, the Warriors, they're likely to come out this week and, you know, mail it in and get 40 put on
0: them. I said to the Ro- uh, Roosters gear steward, Roscoe, uh, yesterday, see at the SCG, and he said, what Warriors are going to turn up? And I misheard him, and I said, what? And he goes, what Warriors are going to turn up? I said, the New Zealand ones. He goes, no, the good or bad ones. <laughs> the Jekyll or the Hyde Warriors. <laughs> yeah, I said, that's the million-dollar question. I don't know. So they've it's Roosters a- every day for me. They've
1: never played at the SCG, these two teams, and they've got a better – they've got a – Positive record over the Roosters. 22 wins for 17 losses, the Warriors. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm tipping
2: the Roosters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the Roosters. Oh, let's hope it's uh, nice and sunny and on a firm surface. Uh, plenty of good footy played. And uh, we'll see if they can... I mean, Roger Tuovasashek up against his old club is reason alone to go along and see that game?
0: It hey, was before you get to the final game of the round, Sharks-Dragons, can we... Retell a story that Lara discovered on the weekend at Cogra about the way the Dragons used to train during retro round era, 1970s, where you had training Tuesdays and Thursdays at Cogra and just up the hill was what, Lara?
1: It's called the Royal Hotel Carlton. Yes. And I'm told there's different versions of the story but the one that Craig Young told me was that Billy Smith would not allow... Anybody to leave unless they handed over eight empty schooners. At you the had door. to have
0: eight schooners after training before you could go home.
1: And true story, there would be players <laughs> going to the bathroom trying to cl- trying to climb out the window to escape, <laughs> and he would ca- he'd make sure they'd be pulled back in to finish their eighth schooner or sixth, yeah. seventh, eighth schooner so that.
0: And Albert, who was yeah. a police officer at the time, his job was to guard the door. So he used to set up a table at the door, and the players used to have to bring their eight empty glasses to. Uh, Craig Craig Young before they got the leave pass to go home to the wife and family.
2: Uh, I can believe it because (laughs) Billy, if last week was Retro Round, Billy was as retro... As it gets. And he sits at
1: the same spot at every Cogra game. When you go up the stairs on the right, in the corner there's a corporate room and he sits in the corner near the glass with his um, family and he watches every game and his marbles are still there and you can talk to him about everything and anything and it's a joy, these guys. And that's what this weekend's all about, talking about Mm. with those guys and telling the old stories and, um, yeah, Billy... He worked hard, he played hard. And
0: he played hard. He, he played have, hard. You he have eight schooners a game?
1: I think so. He's there an hour <laughs> before <laughs> kick-off. I'd say he'd have them before before the game starts.
2: I've seen Billy uh, having a couple of washdowns at the Carring Bar Inn on several occasions when I used to spend a bit of time in the Shire uh, at one stage in a former life and... Uh, Billy's always enjoyed himself. Yes. Good, always enjoyed himself, let's put it that way. Uh, Sharks and Dragons, speaking of the Shire and the Dragons, they meet local derby, huge
0: game for the Sharks. Yeah, and you know what? Watching the Raiders and the Roosters turn on a bit of spite and venom and a bit of feeling with the finals twist thrown in, I reckon this one's going to be the same. The the old rivalry, reborn, Sharks, desperate, Dragons, Trying to take as much out of a forlorn season as possible. I, I, this is going to be some fire and brimstone. Yeah. I hope
1: they don't like each other. The fans, do they? I no. don't. Um, so <laughs> I hope that I hope that it, it. Yeah, I just hope the Dragons can pull out another big performance because they didn't. Well, they did enough on the weekend, but hopefully, hopefully for the derby, they can put a competitive effort out there and it's not. Um, yeah, it's, it's not just a one-sided affair. But I would say the Sharks have got so much to play for that they have to, have to win this one. So I'd, I'd still be tipping the Sharks.
2: First 10 or 15 of this one, super important because if the Sharks go whack-whack and put a couple of early mm-hmm. ones on... Um, when you're out of the hunt, uh, your motivation is minimal. Um, they might just sort of you know, pull the Bundy card out of the back pocket, just go ka-ching, and uh, the Sharks might put on a bit of a score. Yeah, I'll go and sit with Billy. I'll go and sit with go Billy. Go and sit with Billy <laughs> and just watch the Sharks <laughs> put on a training run. Um, yeah, uh, Let's hope it's a real contest. Yeah, I think, that's all you can I, I, think, for. I think the Sharks might get the cash and get it comfortably. Potentially we'll see how that one turns out because they have got tons to play for. Well, we covered some territory and there was a few mm. points that I had Listen, Danny, we didn't get to, but, you know... Next week was. That's maybe next week. Hold off. And if you have any questions, uh, at Lara Pitt Fox, at Matt Russell Fox, at Warren Smith Fox, uh, the three Twitter handles, fire them in. Uh, we'll try and get to some. I uh, had thanks uh, to...
0: Oh, oh
1: your shout-out.
0: Uh, I think it was Spinksy, uh, the truck driver from the far <laughs> south coast of New South Wales, who bumped me at the uh, Raiders game and said he enjoys the... Uh, ...podcast as he does his weekly runs down there on the South Coast. Uh, good afternoon or hello, mate, whatever time of the day it is. Glad you're listening again.
2: And to uh, to Mike M, who fired the question last week... ...about uh, our coverage and the camera angles for field goal attempts... Uh, he sent in a tweet this morning saying thanks for the uh, mention last week and good to hear your views on that sort of stuff. He, he wants the red button so he can hit the red when it's field goal time and goal on point. And he wants to go end on. He can watch it from end on. That might be something we can do in the future. He's a big Bulldogs fan and a bit of a Pearl Jam fan as well. Oh, good. <laughs> so he might be singing Eddie Vedder while he's watching the uh, watching the red button angles at field goal attempts and goal on point. Good on mic. Um, That is the show. We'll see you next week right here on You Can Take Me Now. I Have Seen It All.